Welcome to the Monash University Perioperative Medicine podcast series. I'm Dr. Christine Ball, and today I'm talking with Professor David Scott, who is the Director of Anesthesia and Acute Pain Medicine at St. Vincent's Hospital. He's also one of the editors of Acute Pain Management Scientific Evidence for the last three editions. And today I just wanted to talk to David about pregabalin. So David, pregabalin is a relatively new analgesic, but it has had rapid uptake and has now become quite controversial. Would you like to just firstly explain to us what pregabalin is? Pregabalin is one of the gabapentinoids. Um, the other gabapentinoid is, is gabapentin, of course. Uh, and these are drugs which, um, despite their name, act on the voltage-gated calcium channel in uh, neuronal pain transmission and therefore uh, seem to have an effective role in modifying uh, nociception uh, and the perception of pain, particularly associated with uh, neuropathic pain, mm -hmm. so pain caused by injury to the nerve or peripheral nervous system or central nervous system. So that's, that's where gabapentin and pregabalins sit. They're gabapentinoids, they work on these alpha-2 delta subreceptors on the voltage-gated calcium channel and modulate uh, nociception uh, in a way analogous to um, other, other modulators such as opioids but with a qu quite different uh, receptor type and quite different side effect profile. They're not potent analgesics in mm -hmm. and of themselves but they are analgesic. Um, they also have other effects. They were originally developed, gabapentin was originally developed as, as an anti-epileptic drug mm -hmm. and uh, it wasn't very effective in that role. And so the, the finding that it was had some benefits in certain types of certain chronic pain conditions was a bit of a serendipitous mm -hmm. uh, outcome. But in that capacity, it also they also cause some sedation uh, and some degree of uh, ataxia in higher doses. Uh, so they're not universally tolerated uh, that well by older patients. And I think that's the area of particular concern is their use in older patients. Mm -hmm. uh, people trying to avoid or minimise the use of opioids uh, end up um, shifting patients onto another drug which has a different side effect profile mm -hmm. and different side effect risk. So it's always about balance. Um, so pregabalin is um, now, if you like, the preferred gabapentinoid because it has a couple of uh, advantages. It, it's more effectively uh, absorbed and more reliably and predictably absorbed uh, by the gut. Uh, and its, um, its metabolic pathways are a bit more uh, ideal, I think, for, mm -hmm. for a drug. Um, having said that, uh, that's about the only difference between that and gabapentin. Mm -hmm. Gabapentin was cheaper, or still is cheaper, I think, and you know there's all the marketing side of things which I, I won't get into no. in terms of prescriptions and so forth. But the indications for pregabalin are for neuropathic pain, mm -hmm. and any treatment in chronic pain should be uh, titrated to best effect or best opportunity for effect, and then only continued if there is a beneficial effect. And the problem is um, that that uh, often patients are titrated up with these drugs and then kept on them, mm -hmm. and if they still have pain or discomfort they're given another medication. Mm -hmm. The other, other problem is that uh, you know, some of the, the information we had originally because of their effect with uh, neuropathic pain was, well, maybe these are good at preventing chronic pain. Mm -hmm. So there was a really strong research surge for using gabapentin and then pregabalin in surgeries which were prone to th thoracic surgery and mastectomies, uh, hernias, things like that. Surgery where um, 
there's an increased risk of neuropathic pain. In those patients, certainly the use of gabapentinoids, pregabalin or gabapentin, decreased modestly the amount of opioids that patients required. So they had an extra analgesic effect. But to date, there's no convincing evidence that they have a long-term benefit in reducing the incidence of chronic pain. Other effect, beneficial effects probably relate mostly to their reduction in opioid dose, so slightly decreased nausea and vomiting, um, even decreased pruritus in some, some studies. Uh, but they're, they're small uh, benefits, but you might choose to exploit those benefits in certain patients, but then you would only use them for the period of time mm. that they were going to be a benefit, and that's another problem. In the same way as um, you know, sustained-release opioids kept on being prescribed in a post-operative period and even 12, 24 months later, because that's what they were on, mm. patients were discharged frequently on gabapentinoids rather than, than coming, being titrated down and coming off them. So I, I wouldn't say you shouldn't, you, by any means, you, shouldn't, you, you, you should stop using them appropriately in a perioperative period, um, but, th but their use in the long term really should be restricted to appropriately titrated analgesic benefits and focusing on conditions such as neuropathic pain. Are there any big research projects at the moment, particularly targeting the use of the gabapentinoids? In answer to that, that question, there are a number of studies uh, of, of smaller nature going on at the moment, looking at gabapentinoids in the perioperative period, um, and still people are looking to see whether they'll have a benefit in, in certain types of long-term chronic pain, but I'm unaware of any large mm. multi-centre studies which are underway. So I can understand how a drug like pregabalin Everyone jumps on the bandwagon because we're all desperately trying to not use opioids and we're all desperately looking to prevent chronic pain. Um, and so pregabalin in our hospital at least came into a lot of ERAS protocols for a few months and then it was gone again. Uh, and it still gets prescribed for a lot of conditions regularly like burns surgery. So do you think that we should have some research that's focused around that particular, those particular uses of pregabalin? Pregabalin obviously has advantages um, in certain types of pain and particularly, it would seem, in certain types of neuropathic pain. It's, it's not a panacea, mm -hmm. um, it's not a wonder drug, but given as part of a multimodal approach to complex pain problems such as burns, for instance, uh, or major surgery, I think it should be certainly um, considered for use and ideally, yes, research. I mean, Burns patients are very challenging mm. and uh, there's every reason to use every tool we have uh, that's available to us uh, in balance with uh, risk against harm. And so I wouldn't, um, wouldn't say it should, they sh I wouldn't say they shouldn't be used in, in those sort of patients at all. In fact, I would encourage their, their considered use. Mm. But at the same time, if patients aren't getting benefit, mm. they shouldn't be continued. And if we look at the use of these drugs in the community, the same situation applies. We've got GPs desperately treating patients with chronic pain. Not everyone can go to a chronic pain clinic. Do you think there's a place for restricting the use of new analgesic agents to people who specialise in chronic pain? Or do you think it's appropriate to release new drugs like this into the community? New drugs with novel effects that we don't fully understand the side effect profile of or are very expensive uh, probably should be restricted to certain prescribing prescriber groups so that um, those effects can be more closely monitored and reported. Drugs like gabapentin, on the other hand, I think are, you know, they are relatively safe. 
And so given appropriate precautions for appropriate periods of time, they, should be, they, they could be prescribed. But I think the, they can only be done with appropriate... We've got to respect the skills in, of our, our general practitioners. Sure. And they, sh they should only... And, and now there are electronic prescribing systems there too, which might well flag you know, more than three months' use of this particular drug. Is it, is it still effective? Is it achieving its goals? And the deal with patients has to be negotiated from the start as well. I'm going to try you on this. This may well provide you with some benefit. Let me know. We'll be following it up. And it, we won't be continuing it beyond um, its useful period. Is it addictive? Uh, that's a question of some debate. I think there is certainly a... It's not addictive in the formal sense. Sure. Tolerance does develop to it to its use, and so patients shouldn't be just have their gabapentin or pregabalin ceased cold turkey. They should be tapered down you know, over, over a period of days to a week or two. Um, it doesn't, though, create um, drug-seeking behaviour as mm -hmm. such. So it's, it's not truly addictive in that sense. And it has no street value? <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> I don't know. I'm constantly. I, yes, it, I think they do. I think there is there is a market for the gabapentinoids. Actually, there is a market for the gabapentinoids. Un unfortunately, mm. because they they can make you feel slightly lightheaded and euphoric and all that sort of stuff. Anything else you'd like to say about the gabapentinoids? Uh, like any other analgesic agent, they should only be used for the time that they're appropriate and effective. Uh, should also always be respectful of side effects, particularly in the elderly who mm -hmm. may not metabolise or clear them well, or just simply be more sensitive to the to the other side effects of these drugs. And I think we've always got to be careful of using these drugs in older patients or patients who've got renal impairment. Thank you. Thank you.